Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. This is the last time you're going to hear from me for a little while. Starting next week, for the month of February, you'll be left to the mercy of our frightful femme fatale of fiction, Meredith Morgenstern, who's rounded up a host of harrowing horrors to celebrate Women in Horror Month. Promoting diversity in our genre is something that's always been important to us here at Tales to Terrify, but this is the first time we're officially celebrating Women in Horror Month. So I want to take a moment to give a special thank you and welcome to Meredith for making this all come to life. It takes a lot of guts to step behind the mic, especially when it's not something you do week after week so we were so thrilled when she agreed to do it. Meredith's passion for horror and inclusion has been a real vital part of our identity since she joined our little corner of the horrorverse several years ago. She's not only shaped the stories we accept, but lent an incredibly valuable perspective on the genre and our place within it. We're so thankful to have you, Meredith, and I'm excited to pass this bloody baton your way. I hope you'll join me in giving her the hellishly warm welcome she deserves, children of the night. But for this evening, you're stuck with me, so I'll do my best to not drag this out. Tonight, we have a pair of tales that really lend a whole new perspective to the phrase, crime doesn't pay. Sit back and relax, children of the night, as we spin you some tales from society's seedy underbelly. Our first story for the evening comes from Colin Rogers. Colin Rogers is a writer from Iowa who works to captivate audiences through creative storytelling. 
Colin believes that stories are meant to be told to the world and that creativity is integral to good development and healthy learning. Colin will soon hold a bachelor's degree in creative writing from Full Sail University. Children of the Night, join me for Colin Rogers' Tinnitus, a Tales to Terrify original. It was an old and cheap motel room, with old and cheap decor. The wallpaper curled in on itself. The sheets on the leftmost bed bore a dark brown stain. The television played static. The radio fell silent. The AC unit was unplugged. The lights above the beds dangled. The wires taut. On the nightstand between the two beds, there sat an old rotary phone. The numbers long since faded, and the color changed from a bright yellow to an ugly, muted top. It rang. The high-pitched noise echoed in the small room. Reed pulled at the brown-stained blonde hair on the side of his head and covered his ears with his hands. He sat in an old, creaky desk chair, rocking back and forth in his seat. His legs bounced, and he shuddered. Elliot, it's happening again, Reed said. Do something. Elliot sat up in the bed, on the left side of the phone. The left side of his shirt was stained a dark brown. Calm down, Reed, or the neighbors will hear you, Elliot said. Is that something you want? No, I just want it to stop, Reed said. The phone rang louder. Reed leaned over to the left side of the chair in pain and fell over. His left shoulder hit the ground hard. Elliot shrugged, letting out a sigh. There's an easy way to make it stop, Reed, Elliot said. Answer the phone. It kept ringing. Why would I want to do that? To end this, Elliot said. The ringing grew louder. Reed covered his ears with his hands again. He pulled his hands away from his ears, wiping them on the carpet. Blood stained the carpet. Elliot, it's getting worse, Reed said. Then make it stop, Reed, Elliot said. No, Reed said. You just want to turn me in. He slammed his fists on the bloody carpet. Reed scrambled to his feet, his legs shaking. He held his right hand to his right ear. He maneuvered over to the bed on the right side of the phone. You should listen to me, Reed, Elliot said. He stood up from the bed, standing next to the phone. The phone rang louder. The light bulbs shuddered. The light from the television flickered, bathing the room in a dim, gray light. And the phone kept ringing. Answer the phone, Reed. This is all your fault, Elliot, Reed said. If it wasn't for you, it wouldn't be ringing. My fault, Elliot said. You brought us here, Reed. Y yes but... But nothing, Elliot said. This is your fault, not mine. Elliot, we needed a place to go, Reed said. They were coming for us, so I took us somewhere safe. You brought us to a cheap motel on the other side of town, Elliot said. Is that your idea of safe? Yes, but you stole from them, Elliot. His hand stopped shaking. That was your plan. Reed. The ringing grew louder and sharper. No more, Elliot, Reed said. I can't take it anymore. Then answer it, Elliot said. He stood a few feet from the ringing phone. Reed turned toward Elliot and the phone. His hands trembled. Sweat beaded on his brow. Blood dripped from his ears. His lips curled into a grin. 
Reed sprinted and leapt at Elliot, tackling him into the old nightstand. It broke upon impact, bringing the two of them clattering to the floor alongside the ringing phone. Why don't you answer it? Reed asked. Don't you hear it? His hands gripped Elliot's throat. The ringing reached an unbearable level. Reed clasped his hands over his bloody ears. An agonized scream escaped his lips. Reed, <clears throat> Elliot said, you're going deaf. Then why, Elliot, Reed said, why can I still hear you? Reed reached for the phone's handset. He gripped it in his bloody fingers. Reed, wait, Elliot said. Reed pulled the phone from the wall, ripping and tearing the wires. He smashed the phone's base over Elliot's head. Half of it broke into hundreds of tiny shards of plastic, scattered on the floor. He threw the rest of the base at the wall, leaving a dent in the plaster. Reed let Elliot slump to the floor. He got to his knees and crawled into his own bed. He covered himself with blankets, rested his head on the pillow, and closed his eyes. The handset laid against Elliot's body, disconnected from the rest of the phone base. Reed sighed. The handset rang. That was Colin Rogers. Tinnitus, as read by Bryce Dolly. Bryce Dolly is still relatively new to voiceovers and voice acting, and is excited to jump into it. If you'd like him to record anything for you, he can be found at fiverr.com slash awkwardmammal. Thank you, Bryce. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Our second tale tonight comes from Kev Harrison. Kev Harrison is a British writer of dark and strange fiction living in Lisbon, Portugal. His work has been published in a variety of anthologies, including the acclaimed Lost Films from Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, In Darkness, Delight, Creatures of the Night from Corpus Press, as well as The Other Stories Podcast from Hawk and Cleaver, and Tales to Terrify. His debut novelette, Cinders of a Blind Man Who Could See is available now from Domain Publishing, and his novella The Balance was released in 2020 from Lycan Valley Press. You can find more of his work at kevharrisonfiction.com. Listen with me, children of the night, to Kev Harrison's Communion, first published in Kev's collection, Paths Best Left Untrodden. Thank you. 
we weren't ready. The door caved in, splinters flying every fucking where, then there were two of them, hand cannons blasting left and right, lighting up the place like fireworks. I dove down behind some pallets, gestured for Frank to do the same, but he was having none of it. He stepped out, powerful custom pistol spewing death like it always had. Bam. The first of the bastards went down like a sack of potatoes, an oozing red cavern where his face had once been. The other fella, I don't know if it was a sixth sense about his partner or whatever, he was too quick. I tried to warn Frank. I screamed, vocal cords ragged in my throat. It was too late. I watched the pistol kick back. Frank's fingers slipped from the grip, and his beloved piece tumbled toward the ground. My gun was up in front of my face before my next heartbeat. I squeezed the trigger, recoil flicking the barrel up. I fired again, again, again. Two in the face and two in the throat. He was a corpse before he clattered to the ground. I watched him, watched his lips move. Then I remembered, Frank. I knelt beside him. Boss, I stammered and wiped blood from his mouth. I'll get you to the hospital. Frank spat, trying to form words. Too late for fucking hospital, Neil, my boy. He pulled up his shirt, the angry wound pouring blood. You've got to get me back to Roper's Lane before I cop it. I need you to do something for me. I hefted him up in a fireman's carry and made for the exit. I was about to pull back the latch when I paused, listened. Too fucking quiet. I raised my gun and exited. The guy was quick, but I was quicker, the first round tearing through his forearm as he tried to aim. The second went up through his chin and out the back of his skull, a fine spray of crimson trailing the bullet into the ashen sky. I glanced over to the Lexus. Julio was slumped in the driver's seat. I quickened my pace, opened the back door, and lowered Frank in before rushing round to the front. Julio, are you... The three holes in his chest told me I didn't need to finish my question. Fuck's sake. We should have never agreed to this deal, not without the rest of the boys. Shaking my head, I hauled Julio out of the car and left him at the roadside. I took his place in the driver's seat, feeling the warmth of Julio's blood soak into my jacket and started the engine. Frank was wheezing by the time we got to Roper's Lane, I pulled down the old grate of the garage and got him into the office. Shall I get the doctor? He might be able- I don't need a fucking doctor, Neil, Frank spat. Undo my trousers and get your knife. You what, boss? You heard me. Now fucking hurry up. Blood ran down his lips and onto his neck. I did as I was told and unhooked Frank's belt, my knife ready beside him on the table. Pull them down. You need to get to my left thigh. I tugged the trousers down on the left side, revealing a bulbous scar with a crisscross tattoo that might just as well have been a child's scribbling as a cryptic language. Cut it open, but be careful, said Frank. Pass me that whiskey first. I handed him the bottle, and he took a long swig. He placed the bottle down, then leaned back, eyes to the ceiling. I pressed the point of my knife to the scar tissue and paused for a moment. Frank's trembling hand reached for mine. Fucking do it, my boy. I haven't got much time. I sank the knife into the flesh and down the length of the scar. It wept blood, brighter than the dark fluid from his bullet wound. Take it out. Now, Frank said through gritted teeth. I don't understand. There's something inside. Take it out, man. I prized the incision open and squeezed my forefinger in, the wound turning my stomach with squelching sounds as I fished around for whatever it was Frank wanted me to extract. I touched a hard edge and nudged it until it poked from the open scar. I grasped it between my thumb and forefinger and pulled it out. A pen drive. What the fuck? Downstairs, take me with you. Just you. 
Don't call the other boys. They can't see this. I hooked Frank's left arm around my shoulders and eased him from the table. Hurry the fuck up, Neil. I'm close. A trail of bloody droplets followed us down the concrete stairs into the old basement. At the bottom, Frank delved into his pocket and pulled out a key. I took it and unfastened the padlock on the door, then laid Frank closer to access the fingerprint scanner. Gears engaged and the heavy metal portal slid open. I moved inside, my eyes darting from one side of the room to the other. I'd never entered Frank's office come panic room before. He gestured to a raised platform like a drum riser in the center of the room. There, boy, but remove that cloth before you put me down. Then barricade that door so you don't end up stuck in here. I moved some heavy packing crates to the doorway, then pulled away the black cloth that cloaked the riser, revealing a wooden surface with dozens of symbols I didn't recognize, painted in shades of red and neon blue. What the fuck is this, I said, as I lowered Frank onto it. Frank spluttered, and his palm came away spattered with blood. Do you really think all that time I spent traveling the world was just about securing the best drugs? He chuckled despite the pain. Oh, no, Neil. The things I learned from shamans in the High Atlas, aboriginals in Australia, wise men in Japan and Indonesia. He leaned on his stronger arm and pointed to a PC terminal on his desk. Plug the pen drive in there. I moved over and slid it into the USB slot. A pop-up appeared on screen. Do you want to autoplay the video? End.mpg. I glanced back at Frank, who was nodding gingerly, biting his lip. The screen was dominated by a black background, the speakers beginning to hiss as the video rolled. Frank appeared, sat at his desk, hands splayed in front of him. He began speaking, his voice the authoritative one I was used to before, before this. If you're watching this, Neil, it means I am fucked. Hopefully still breathing behind you, but fucked nonetheless. You are here, my boy, because you're the only one I trust. We've got some good, loyal boys, but by God, they're thick, some of them. So, this is going to sound mental, but I've found a way to carry on. But you must do exactly as I tell you. The Frank on the recording paused, then began again. It's perfectly okay for you to be thinking I'm off my head. I'd be doing the same. But I've seen it done, so let's stop gassing before I snuff it. I shuffled in my chair, then paused the video. I glanced back at Frank. Are you fucking serious? Again, he nodded. His breathing labored. I turned back to the screen and hit play. Screen Frank continued to speak. Light the candles on the nine symbols around the altar where you put me. I froze the video once more, stood from the chair and hurried over, doing as I was told. Restarted. Now reach down into the drawer with the padlock in the desk. You can use the same key you used on the door. It's a duplicate. I fiddled with the lock and then pulled the drawer open. Take out that bottle and uncork it, said the Frank on the screen as if watching me. Whatever you do, don't smell it. Naturally, I held it under my nose the instant the cork was out. It was pungent, made my head swim. <laughs> you smelt it, didn't you, you cunt? The screen Frank laughed a deep belly laugh that likely would have killed him in his current state. I shook my head and whispered a variety of curses to myself. He sat up, bolt upright, laughter extinguished. Now... I need something from you. First, I need you to decide. Are you loyal? 100% fucking loyal. If not, you can stop the video now, and this will be the end of my road, boy. There was a long pause. Still watching? Good. Time to get your knife. 
My eyes darted back to the table. Frank lay among the candles, very possibly unconscious. I grabbed my knife from the altar, still smeared with blood from the USB extraction. I need your blood, Neil, the blood of my most loyal soldier, from your right wrist into the bottle. Mind you, don't slice the vein. I wiped the knife on a cloth, then pushed up my sleeve, held it over the open bottle. Fucking hell, I said, and jabbed the point into my wrist. I felt the bite of the blade, then watched as the first drops of blood ran down the silvery surface. I clenched and unclenched my fist, watching the vivid red droplets plunging into the yellowish fluid and clouding into abstract shapes below the surface. You can stop when you've got a dozen drops or so, said Frank. Now put the lid back on and give it a shake. I did as I was asked. Turn the volume up now. I reached toward the dial and rolled it to eight. Good, almost there. Now pause the video and douse the body in the liquid. Don't start the video again until the liquid is spread all over. I approached Frank's still body. As I got closer, I could see that his chest was still faintly rising and falling. Try not to breathe this in, boss. I poured the fluid, waiting for it to soak into his clothes and hair, making his skin slick. The smell was overpowering, something fermented or distilled, fused with bodily fluids or another form of waste. I emptied the last of the liquid over his feet, still encased in immaculate brogues, then set the bottle aside. I pressed play. If you're ready, if I'm ready. I need silence now, boy, not a sound. There was a dramatic pause, and Screen Frank held up a sheet of paper. He began to speak, though the words he used were like none I'd heard before. The percussive, omnipresent consonants like an Eastern European tongue, with guttural sounds that would have been more at home in Arabic. As he went on, his voice took on a drone-like quality, a bass tone seemingly separate from the rasps. Then he was screaming, his mouth unnaturally wide as if his teeth and gums might slide out. Then silence. A whisper crept through the room, and I turned to find the candles out. Harry? Lukaj? The room was still, empty but for me and the boss. Neil, Frank's voice boomed from the speakers and I almost shat myself. Set the body alight now. Frank was still breathing. You have to do it while he's, while I'm still alive, man. The words made my ribcage thrum. I flipped open my lighter and ignited the flame. I held it out momentarily and then touched it to the moist fabric of Frank's shirt. Flames consumed the body in an instant. I stood back, the heat oppressive. I had no concept of time, hypnotized as the flesh melted away from the core like wax at the edge of a candle. The smell of burning hair hung in the air, somehow less gut-wrenching than the fuel I'd used to burn him. The flames died down as the outer tissues depleted, leaving a viscera-clad cage filled with steaming, roasted organs. I stared into the face that had molded me since I'd finished my first spell inside and emerged clueless, rudderless, a face that was no longer there. Fuck's sake, Frank, I said, choking back tears. It should be done by now. I'd forgotten about the video. I turned to face the screen. Frank sat there as lively as ever, sipping from a tumbler of scotch. All that's left is to carve the heart. One slice for each of you boys. You're all going to eat it. I felt vomit snaking its way up my gullet at the thought. Remember your loyalty, Neil. The video ended abruptly. I'm not fucking eating it until you tell me what it is.
The Polish eagle on Lukasz's bicep bulged as he tossed the plate across the table. I'd called him in from a smuggling run in Dover. Harry and Sai had been on a day off. None of them knew. Not yet. Where's Frank anyway? He's had to, I began, but realized I hadn't thought of a cover story. He's having to lay low for a couple days, copper sniffing around. I slid Lukasz's plate back towards him. But he left me instructions to make sure you fuckers eat this. What about you? Sai piped up from the chair beside mine. I nodded. Yeah, there's a piece for me too. Lukasz stood, slammed his hands down on the table. If I don't know what it is, I don't eat it. This is bullshit. I'm calling Frank. He pulled his phone from his pocket and began swiping. I sprang to my feet. Eat the fucking heart, I said as I pulled the gun from the back of my trousers in a swift motion, aiming it at Lukasz's twitching temple. He arched his eyebrow, testing me. I flexed my left hand around the grip, fixing it in place. Lukasz smiled. Heart, why didn't you say so? I eat this all the time. He lowered himself into his seat. I held my position, watching him all the way down. He lifted a piece from the plate and bit into it, chewed. Well, I said as he stuffed the last piece into his mouth. Well, what? He said through a mouthful of meat. A bit tough, but not bad. He finished chewing and swallowed. Who's next, Eddie? He offered the plate across the table. Lukasz flinched, almost dropping it as Harry was about to take his piece. He rubbed his temples with his fingertips. I sat back down, gun secured in my waistband. I felt Lukasz's sausage fingers on my wrist as I watched Harry inspect the meat. Well done, my boy. Lukasz whispered in an accent that was more Dagenam than Poznan. My head spun, but he held a finger over his lips, shushing me. I turned back to Harry, watched him eat, then sigh, then the plate came to me. I glanced down at the dark meat, one half of a spliced valve in my piece. Then I looked back up at the three leering men. Something in their eyes gave away that they were no longer the same. I made to stand. Sai's hand darted forward and clenched around my wrist. Not hungry, Neil, he said. I wrenched his hand away. Need a piss, that's all. Lukaj, opposite, narrowed his eyes. Harry, go with him. Do what? Harry stood from his chair and took my arm, leading me out the back. I walked into the bathroom and locked it behind me. What the fuck was I going to do? Frank was inside them, wearing them like gloves. If I ate that sliver of his heart. How long does it take to have a slash, Neil? Harry thumped on the door to make his point. I unzipped and forced myself to piss. I finished up and washed my hands, then clenched my fist around the soap. I had to be silent and quick. I unlatched the door and peeled it backward. Harry stood there, grinning at me. Found your appetite, boy. I rushed him and punched him in the throat. His mouth opened, gasping for air. I shoved the worn soap bar into his mouth, following up with a right hand to jam it in further. He stumbled backward and I shoved into him with all my strength. He slammed into the ground, then rolled onto his front. I sprinted past him towards the exit. As I raised the grate, charging footsteps from the back room assaulted me. We can all see you as one now, boy. Harry was on the ground, spluttering, a broken tooth beside the blood-streaked soap. You'll see soon enough. We'll catch you. Don't worry about that. I ducked the grate and slammed it down behind me, sprinting out into the dusky street. I legged it through the park and passed a line of double-deckers, then down into the underground. Once through the barrier and onto the platform, I allowed myself to breathe. I sat, the early evening crowd milling past, invisible in my stillness. Where could I go? 
Frank knew where I lived. My only allies in London were scouring the streets, ready to turn me into... What? Some flesh puppet? Fuck that. There was no way of escaping. I had too much to lose in London. I had to take them down. I sprang to my feet, trading the escalators for the spiral staircase, leading to the rear exit and the quiet back street. I hugged the wall, pausing in the shadow of a broken streetlight, then vaulted over into the graveyard. Willows brushed back and forth among the graves. I'm not superstitious by nature, but I'd normally give the cemetery a miss after sunset. I suppose the boundaries of what frightened me had shifted that day. I made sure not to step on any graves as I hurried through the shadows to the southern wall. I checked that the coast was clear and hurled myself over. Roper's Lane was quiet, almost silent. A pair of cats fought over something in the yard of a disused factory. The lights were off in our place. They were still looking for me. I scrambled up the scuffed brick wall and grabbed a first floor window ledge. I prized the window open and squeezed myself in. The kitchen. I crept down from the worktop and crouched, scanned the street. No sign of the boys. I took a carving knife from the drawer, then moved through the place like a shadow, across the first floor landing and down to ground level. A single upright lamp remained illuminated in the communal space, where a sliver of Frank's heart, my sliver, remained untouched. I hurried down the back stairs into the basement. The door was still barricaded open as I'd left it, the security panel buzzing its displeasure. I squeezed inside and moved to Frank's desk. I ransacked the drawers looking for some sign of the ritual helping him to stay tethered to this world through the gang. I rifled through the papers and books, tossing sheets and hardcovers onto the floor beside the desk. Looking for something? A whisper. Hands closed around my neck and began to choke me. My eyes bulged in their sockets. My constricted throat tried in vain to suck in air. As my vision began to haze over, I closed my fist around the handle of the carving knife on the desk and thrust it backwards next to my torso. A gravelly voice screamed, Harry. The fingers loosened from around my neck. I shoved myself backward in the chair and spun. He tumbled to the ground and I was on him before he could move. My arm stabbed viciously as if on autopilot into his torso a full seven times before swiping up and slitting his throat. Dark liquid oozed from the gash. My friend spluttered. Leal, he said, turning his head to spit on the dusty ground. A heart, mate. You'll only be God if you destroy my heart. He clasped his hands around mine, directing the knife to his chest. I don't want to be a fucking zombie, Neil. I looked into his eyes for a moment, finding my friend there in his final moments. Sorry, Harry, I said, and drove the blade deep into his chest. I slid the blade out and wiped it on his trousers, then closed his eyes. Fuck, I shouted, before remembering what Harry had said on the bathroom floor. They were one. They'd all know where I was by now. They'd be here soon. I patted down Harry's jacket and trousers, stripping a clip of ammunition off him, then headed out of the basement. I placed my feet carefully, trying to muffle the sound of my footsteps on the stairs. Yellow light from the street lamps poured in through the open grate. They were back. I crept to the grate, staying close to the wall. I peeked out into the street. Nothing stirred. I darted back inside, taking a moment to listen at the bathroom door and hearing only the sound of dripping taps. Only the communal area was left. Lurking outside the doorway, I took a breath and pulled the gun from the back of my trousers. My hands were rust-colored with Harry's blood. More would have to be shed if I wasn't to lose myself completely. I edged forward, peered inside.
Sai's broad shoulders bulged over a seat at the table. He faced away from me. The light reflected off the plate in front of him, my slice still waiting to be consumed. I narrowed my eyes, scouring the dark corners of the room for Lukash, and failing to find him. I couldn't let this chance escape. I slipped off my shoes and silently approached, taking aim. Two paces away, I stopped, went to squeeze the trigger. Something smashed over my back and I fell to the ground, the pieces of what must have been a bottle or vase tinkling musically to the ground around me. I instinctively rolled to avoid being choked from behind and felt the teeth of the broken material bite into me through my shirt. Lukage was on top of me in an instant, forearm barring my throat while his right hand bore down with a punch. Another, still another. My head swam. Sloppy, Neil. You didn't even look behind the door. Have I taught you nothing? Lukage raised his right hand. I flinched, but the blow never arrived. He grasped my hair and dragged me up into a sitting position. I glanced around for my gun, miles out of reach. Lukaj gripped my jaw in his strong right hand. No fucking chance, mate. Come on, up. He hauled me to my feet and shoved me towards the table. I met it too fast, doubling over and just managing to stop my already bloody face from smashing into the surface. Sai was out of his chair, holding out the plate, a sickening grin on his face. Feeling peckish now, sunshine? He said, and shoved it toward me. I tried to move, but Lukaj grabbed me from behind, arms locked into mine, fixing me in place. I squirmed and fought, but he was too strong, the position too difficult. The plate moved ever closer. I closed my eyes, my mind whirred. Think, you fucker, think. With all my strength, I thrust my body upward. The top of my head smashed into Lukaj's chin and nose, sending him stumbling backward. I snatched the plate from Sai's hand and smashed it across his face, cheap china shattering in all directions. He staggered back, covering his eyes, and I dove for the gun. I lifted it and let off two shots as he charged me. The first was too low, ripping through his torso. The second found its target. His momentum sent him sprawling forward. Blood gushed from the exit wound in his back as he quivered on the floor. I had no time to stare as a one-two punch to my kidneys sent a wave of nausea through my body. I staggered, steadying myself on the wall and choking back vomit then turned just as Lukaj attacked. He was a bear of a man, and I felt my ribs crunch as his shoulder struck my chest. Crushed against the wall, I raised my right hand and brought it down on his shaven head. He barely flinched. He backed up, then came again, wrapping his arms around my waist and tossing me to the ground like a toy. The air rushed from my lungs as I smashed into the concrete the back of my head thumping down after. I groaned, disorientated, vision rolling as if on a ship in a storm. I rubbed my face, trying to regain my senses. Then he was on top of me. He squeezed my nose, holding it until my mouth opened, gasping for air. With the other hand, he shoved in my portion of the heart, piece by piece, he placed his big hands on either side of my mouth and forced my jaw to chew the tough flesh. He brought his face down to mine, his normally crystal clear gray eyes clouded. You will swallow, now or after. It doesn't matter. I'm in no hurry, boy. I struggled against the saliva forming in my mouth, breathed in deeply through my nose, Using all the strength in my neck, I butted him. His strong nose burst across his face and he reeled. While he was off balance, I shoved him and he careened backward onto the floor. I leapt on top of him, grasping the combat knife sheathed in his belt. He raised a strong arm, trying to block me off, but I had the momentum. I shoved it away with my body weight, brought the knife up and then down, 
into his chest. I felt the thick muscle tissue of the heart fight me as I plunged it into him. My hand came up red, still more blood blooming on his white shirt. Lukaj began to laugh. I drew the knife from his chest. What, I said, climbing to my feet. I got you, pierced your heart, it's over. His laugh only grew louder at this, the rasp in his voice the only sign of his imminent demise. I scrambled to my feet. Shut the fuck up, I screamed and kicked him in the ribs. He howled with pain, blood pouring from the wound, then began to chuckle again. <laughs> you swallowed your piece, you didn't even notice. Tears poured from his eyes. You were the only one that really mattered, Neil, my boy, and I'll be in you shortly. He rolled onto his side, cackling. My tongue instinctively flicked around inside my mouth. Nothing left but tiny fragments of the ritual meat. I had less than a minute before. I raised the knife, held it to my chest. Terrible shame if you missed, eh, boy? This'll all have been for nothing. He laughed again, stopping only to cough bloody phlegm onto the floor. I threw the knife to the ground, held my head in my hands. He'd won. Unless, I sprinted across the room to the safe, furiously tapped numbers into the electronic keypad. I tugged at the door as the locking mechanism whirred, then hooked my finger around the hidden panel at the back. I lifted out the false back and pulled out a bag of cocaine. I held it up in front of me. What the fuck are you doing? Lukasha's body lay on its side, eyes wide. I pierced the bag with my fingertip, then tipped it into my mouth. I momentarily felt the powder fizz on my tongue before my mouth went numb. I kept pouring, swallowing as much as I could. Then my eyes glazed over, and I was a passenger in my own body. With Frank in control, I raced to the bathroom, fingers forced down my throat. Vomit, thick with blood and bile, came up quickly, and I felt myself spitting it all into the toilet bowl. Too late. I felt my heart rate quicken, then race, then... That was Kev Harrison's Communion, as read by Andrew Gibson. Andrew was pulled feet first from the swamps of South Louisiana, kicking and screaming, and he remains mostly as such to this day. You can find his work on Audible under Andrew Gibson, or for the more romantically inclined, Blake Lockhart. You can also catch him streaming his recording sessions live in The Narrator Nook and The Haven Discord servers. Links to each you can find in the show notes. Thank you, Andrew. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. 
Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we cross into the unknown with more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.